0: Podcast One production. G'day, I'm Tim Harcourt and
1: welcome to the Airport Economist. In this special mini-series, we're sticking to home soil to discover some of the greatest export success stories taking place right here in Australia. Exporting can expose your business to a wealth of opportunities, but as we'll soon find out, there are some tricks and tips to getting it right. So in each of these six episodes, I'll speak to small businesses right across the country to find out how they've achieved their success overseas and what you can do to ensure your own. My grandfather was known as Mr Ballarat, and his mission was to sell Ballarat to the world. In some ways, it was an easy sell. Thanks to the gold rush in the 19th century, Ballarat was a significant town in Australia with its great mining tradition. Ballarat is also home to Australia's famous rebellion, the Eureka Stockade, where gold miners actually fought the police with a makeshift stockade and blood was shed. It was all over the dreaded miners' licence. Now, some say the Eureka rebels were the founders of Australian democracy, while others say they were just tax avoiders. But either way, the Eureka flag is still a proud symbol of Ballarat and this historic occasion. As a small boy, my grandfather proudly showed me around the streets of his city. And you could see the, the gold rush wealth in all the elaborate Victorian buildings along Sturt Street and Lydiard Street, and why Ballarat in Victoria was a very rich place in the 19th century before Federation. Even in the 21st century, Ballarat's mining tradition continues. Ballarat is the home of Gecko Systems, which is a mining processing and systems company, and it sells from Ballarat to Brazil, to Russia, to Asia and Africa from its base in Ballarat. So once again, Ballarat is selling itself to the world and its expertise. So joining me now is Nigel Grigg, the business development manager, Gecko Systems. Nigel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. Now tell us, what does Geckos do? Uh, Well, Geckos uh are a mineral
0: processing company we, we develop our own technology in the mineral processing area and when I say that it's more around gold uh, recovery and recovery of other heavy minerals uh, we started off in the in a gravity recovery sphere and have uh, developed our products into full plant offerings for gold miners and when did you start well the company's been going now for 20 years it was a smaller company before Gecko Systems, called Grand Developments, and uh, so we sort of commenced business in '96, but really
1: became uh, more of an exporter in about '98. Uh, so you sort of exported almost straight away, not not quite the same year, but a couple of years after you began.
0: Well, that's right. The technology attracted a lot of attention in the world sphere. And so we had a lot of market pull with uh, international clients uh, contacting us to actually inquire about the technology. And uh, being the company we were, very agile, we decided to export
1: almost immediately. And the last time I saw you was on the set of the Airport Economist in Brazil. So you certainly get around. Um, I know you export to Brazil and South America. Where else do you export in the world? Well, we probably
0: export to every mining jurisdiction in the world. Uh, we have offices in Vancouver. Uh, so we look after North America and Mexico from that office. We have an office in Johannesburg with an agent in Ghana to look after the African market. We also have a office now in Moscow, And we're getting a lot of uh, interest from the Russian market and, of course, South America, which uh, is a market that I've been working in for the last 10 years. So what do you think has
1: made your export plan successful?
0: Well, I believe it was the technology itself. Uh, The technology lent itself to a lot of efficiencies in recovering heavy minerals, and that Created market pull. So we were quite lucky in the fact that a lot of the drive to export came from our clients who, who wanted to know about the technology. And so when they contacted us either through the website or by email or phone, we were able to explain our technology. And basically we decided, well, We invite them to come to Australia to look at our facilities and see our capabilities, or we just hopped on a plane and and went and visited their site and uh, try to, you know, provide them with some insight on how our technology might be able to help their operations.
1: I've been to a lot of big mining conferences like, you know, in Darba in South Africa, and it seems that at every mining conference you meet, you know, officials and executives from Russia, South Africa, South America, Kazakhstan and so on. So is it that... If your technology gets well known in one jurisdiction in mining, it basically, you know, is a global phenomenon in terms of it, you know, it it leapfrogs everywhere else?
0: I think you're right there. Um, We spend a lot of time at the international mining conferences and it's amazing the commonality of the, the people that are there, like you'll get the group metallurgists from, you know, big companies like Polyus in Russia and Anglo-American and Anglo-Ashanti and they'll travel around to these conferences and and look at the technology that's available and try and put that into their plants, uh, well, just to gain efficiencies. And the technology is advancing at rapid rates at the moment, so it's, it's good to stay on top of it.
1: Well, you know, Kazakhstan's not Korea and Burkina Faso is not Brazil. I mean, they're very different places. What sort of challenges do you face in the different markets and, and how do you sort of overcome them? Oh, look,
0: it's really about understanding the culture and the business culture in each of those countries. There are some similarities, especially with some of the international big global companies. But if you're looking to go down to, a say, a tier two company or someone smaller, it's it's really important you understand... The culture on how the business is done. It's also very important to understand how business is done and the legal frameworks around that business. Things like uh, withholding taxes, import duties, other restrictions that might uh, be a bit of a speed bump in your in your export business. So it's it's important to get a, an overall understanding of that. Uh, we look at um, our Australian. Uh, institutions like AusMine and Austrade and the Victorian government and the trade commissioners that are available. And we contact those guys in country and they give us plenty of advice on how to do business in that country. But uh, no one knows your own product like yourself, so it's important to get over there, meet local contacts and meet the client and and really, you know, try and work out what you, how you're going to do this piece of business before you jump into it.
1: When I was in Latin America, I remember meeting one of your local reps, a very tall rugby playing Argentine, who's a bit of a character. I mean, does that happen in most markets? You have a local that represents you very well, or have you got to do it yourself, whether you're in Africa or Brazil or Argentina, Chile, et cetera? Look, we have a mixture of
0: business models in different countries. In some of the bigger jurisdictions where English is a primary language, we would open our own office. And it makes it quite easy for us to do business. But in places like Russia, um, somewhere up in Mali or South America, where Diego is situated, um, the language and the local culture, the knowledge of those, the local culture is quite important um, for us to do seamless business in those markets. So we do a bit of a mix on how we model our business in those markets.
1: You're in pretty good hands with Diego in South America, I would have thought.
0: Well, Diego does a, a great job for us over there. And again, we ran into Diego by going to one of the international mining shows over there. We went to the Peru Min. Uh, we went over there with the assistance of the Victorian government this year and it was very successful. Uh, it's very interesting to have the local rep introduce you into the clients. But also, that introduction allows us to then give him some credibility with our technical knowledge and our product knowledge and, and the fact that we're going to support Diego in his business by, you know, providing that global support network from our businesses around the place.
1: Now, you have things like business culture and, and language that you mentioned. Is language important or do you have to rely on, on locals? Look, I think in anything it's about
0: communication and so language is important. I believe that in the technical sphere, it may not be as critical because a lot of the technical resources understand what you're trying to do and how it's done. But when you get down to some of those issues that you might face in exporting, I think communication is extremely important. And so the language, having proper translators, translated documents and having a clear communication strategy with your clients, very important.
1: Now, how about something basic and economic like exchange rates? How does the fluctuating Australian dollar affect you as an exporter?
0: Well, it it is, in theory, quite important to us. Uh, When the Australian dollar drops, our products become cheaper for our uh, overseas clients to purchase our equipment. And also, if the American dollar fluctuates, then you get a, a change in gold price, which in theory also helps with our equipment. So if the gold price goes up, we do better. And uh, obviously when the Aussie dollar drops, we do better. However, our sales process is over a, a quite a long period of time. We still have to do a lot of test work, a lot of engineering. And so sometimes the currency fluctuations over a year or two don't really affect our sales process. And so that's sometimes it affects us, but n- not often. But having said that, if we receive a purchase order from an overseas client and they pay in a a different currency. We'll hedge that currency once we start manufacturing to make sure that we don't get affected by the currency rate during our installation and uh, our commissioning periods of
1: installing the equipment. Now Geckos is a great name, very Australian name. Do you market yourself very differently overseas than from, from Australia?
0: We spend a lot of time in our, in our marketing department. It's something Elizabeth, our CEO, is very passionate about. We used to market in uh, with brochures and the traditional way, uh, try and get those translated and hand them out at trade shows and post and direct emails. But we're sort of moving more into a, a platform of using uh, the internet, using LinkedIn, having landing pages on our website, Uh, some of our website pages are translated into Spanish and Russian now. So a lot of our marketing is going into the digital marketing stages and we're finding that that's a lot more effective in in penetrating the right customers. And we're not spending a lot of time cutting down trees with brochures. Yeah. Now, did you
1: jump a rising tide or do you sort of drive, demand, yourself? Look, I think it's a,
0: a little bit of both. Uh, we develop a technology that we believe is going to be, you know, very important in the future. Some of the, the technology that Sandy Gray developed as, as the technical director of Gecko were developed where he saw there was a market there. We look at uh, new markets where there's a blue ocean Opportunity, And when I say blue ocean, I mean that it's quite unique and we're the only people in that area. So we're able to, you know, really capture that market. And so, look, we sort of drive the market ourselves by developing the technology, but then having those products on offer enables us, to, you know, enables our clients just to come in and grab that equipment from us when they see the need.
1: Now, what's the advantage of being based in
0: Ballarat. Well, Ballarat's a a fantastic place to be based in. Um, We do a lot of international travel, as you can imagine, so it's not that far to Tullamarine Airport, down the highway. We are in a a more of a regional area, and so we have a a very settled workforce. Uh, A lot of our workforce have kids at the local schools. We have access to fantastic uh, manufacturing capabilities around the area, so we're able to contract some of our manufacturing out to some very skilled companies and that enables us to take on bigger jobs and and um, get bigger at certain stages but then also be able to drop down our workforce during the leaner times. And uh, as I mentioned, some of our sales processes are quite long and our, our contract's large, but it's very cyclical. So having those uh, resources in Ballarat's quite important to our business.
1: Not a bad place for a, a mining Industry company though, isn't it, Ballarat, with the gold rush and the Eureka stockade and all that history?
0: Well, that's right. It has a fantastic history of, of gold mining and uh, basically was built from gold back in the day. And uh, yeah, so I think a lot of our international clients that visit are very uh, intrigued on how the city set up and all the, the gold shops and Sovereign Hill and all the uh, tourism around gold. So no, it's, it's quite a good place to bring people.
1: For first-time exporters, even those outside your own industry, you know, they'd be pretty inspired by what Geckos has done. What advice would you give to companies beginning exporting for the first time like you did 20 years ago?
0: Yeah, it's look, you know, I think the first thing is not to be afraid of it. You know, we have fantastic support from internally, from all the different logistics people that look after our products, and but we get support from the client as well. And um, if you can Demonstrate a real need for the product. Uh, I, th- I believe, you know, the clients try and help you out as much as you try to to offer the product. So I think that's one thing. I d- don't be afraid of it. Get into it. Um, I think there's a few important things that you need to consider. One being your payment terms. We really try and get a, a quite a large upfront deposit on our capital equipment so we can get into the manufacturing stage, and we also are probably slightly painful where we ask for the payment before it leaves the country because being like a reasonably sized business it's a little hard to go repossess a, a bit of equipment from Ghana or Mali you've not a haven't paid there can for you? it yeah that's right so and i think the clients understand that and i think they understand the risks you know for a company like ourselves but it's again it's all about communicating those risks with your client things like Withholding taxes can really hit you. So it's important to know what things are, you know, in that certain market might affect you. Import tariffs, you don't want your gear stuck at the wharf. Having good um, export import agents that can look after you. You don't want to bring those in house, you know, like because, you know, you don't want to expand your business too much. But there's a lot of good help out there. And, And, you know, Austrade, for example, or the government can certainly put you in contact with those sort of people before you start exporting.
1: Have you had any, you know, horror stories that you've had to overcome and you've needed, you know, the government badge or, you know, how did you deal with it if if something goes really wrong?
0: Look, there has been some horror stories. I mean, we've had equipment stuck on the wharves for, you know, six or seven months, but that's usually... For us, we've been lucky because of our payment terms being ex-works. We've been paid and and so the risk has diminished. It's our reputational risk of getting that equipment installed is where we've suffered a little bit. But um, most of the time we've been quite organised. But we did think one of our containers fell off a ship once. It went missing for a few weeks. but uh, But that was about it. We found it eventually. It turned up in Sovereign Hill, did it? No, it turned up, in, turned up in Ghana. I'm oh, good! glad you yeah. got it.
1: Well, Nigel Grigg, thanks for sharing with us the Gecko story and uh, thanks for your time. No worries, Tim. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this edition of The Airport Economist. I hope you enjoyed listening and picked up a few useful tips along the way. The Airport Economist podcast series is produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson, and executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. The Airport Economist is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au, download the app, or look us up on iTunes. And don't forget, there is also the Airport Economist TV series and book of the same name. You can find out more at our website, theairporteconomist.com, before you take off. Well, thanks for joining me. I look forward to our next business adventure together somewhere in in the big wide world. I'm Tim Harcourt and I'm the Airport Economist.